What's up, guys? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarens. Many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help out, as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. Follow me on social media like Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All of those links are in the show notes. This week, we are joined by Ed and Natasha Tatton, who own and operate Bread, which is a vegan sourdough bread company. Based in British Columbia, they've combined their talents to create a bakery that sells their top-of-the-line sourdough, as well as a variety of other delicious food and beverage choices. We have a fun conversation about what makes Ed's Bread different, how plant-based living is woven into their business and personal lives, and what it's like building a company as a couple. I was absolutely thrilled to chat with them, and I think you'll really love our conversation. So let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast, Ed and Natasha Tatton. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, how are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Yeah, it's a beautiful day here in British Columbia, so enjoying the nice weather. Awesome. Ed, you doing all right? Very good, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Awesome. Um, well, yeah, so you guys are the owners of Bread, um, which is a, an organic um, bread company based out of Canada and British Columbia there, and you guys primarily specialize in sourdough, is that right? That's correct. Yeah. So organic sourdough, um, naturally leavened, which basically means no added sort of leavening agents like yeasts or anything like that. We just use the, the natural bacteria from the air um, and the natural occurring bacteria within the flour um, to, to, to leaven it. The very old fashioned way. It was the yeah. way that we made bread for centuries until about the 1930s, 1940s, where sort of they wanted to speed everything up. And then the 50s and 60s, sort of Wonder Bread came along and all those sorts of things. So we're sort of taking it back to the way bread should be made. Right, right. So it's, yeah, it's, it's, not, the, 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 it's not the high fructose corn syrup version of bread, if you will. You got, you got it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Flour, flour, water, salt. It's three ingredients. So wow. um, generally the, the, the stuff you buy that you're talking about in, you know, the general supermarket has got anywhere from 25 to 35 ingredients. So when you sort of scale that back to what does it really need? It needs three ingredients, flour, water, and salt. Um, wow. So then it makes you question, what are those other ingredients they've got in there? And why does it sit in my cupboard for three weeks and still is soft and there's no mold or anything? Yeah. So so just to be clear, I, the, the on the walk show, I, I, I compare it often to a wheel with spokes where I'm going to go in a lot of different directions that aren't necessarily coherent so forgive me in advance for that um so that was one of the things i was going to ask is looking on your site you know if people want to order bread it looks like they have to to do that within with the capacity to come pick it up and i guess you just kind of explained why mm -hmm. because it doesn't have these additional kind of preservatives and things in it that that allow it to last long enough to be shipped is that right yeah yeah that's right so We've had people ask, we've had sort of, you know, pre pre COVID where there was a lot of tourism within Whistler, had a lot of Americans, a lot of Europeans, you know, they come and they try the sort of bread or cinnamon buns. And then they, we've had various emails or phone calls saying, Hey, I'm in Miami. Can you, um, can you send me half a dozen cinnamon buns? And I'm like, well, that's, thanks so much for reaching out. But unfortunately we can't at this stage, you know, uh, right. who knows what will happen in the future, but um, we like to, yeah, just sell customer to direct to customer. 
Right, right. So yes, yeah, so you guys operate out of a, a storefront there in British Columbia. Um, and it looks like you have a wide variety of, of products. I mean, not only the sourdough, but also a wider variety of, of breads and, and then also like t-shirts and mugs and all that sort of fun stuff. Can, mm-hmm. is that, can you maybe elaborate on that a bit? Yeah, totally. So we, the business started as a small um, Facebook business, just from selling, making bread um, to friends and then them sort of like creating the demand really. Um, so I worked as a chef for years and years. The restaurant I was working at in Whistler, um, we didn't open for lunch. So we, um, I asked if I could rent the kitchen space, make the bread on a Wednesday morning and, and bake it on the Thursday morning. Being sourdough, it takes a long time to ferment it. Um, so make it one day, it goes in the fridge. The next day you bake it. Um, and that was through Facebook. Like I said, it was pre-order, but not prepay. So it was all done on trust. So if I had 30 loaves, I'd make maybe 32 loaves. So zero waste, which is still a big part of our business. Um, and it was a great way to sort of market research, you know, moving mm. market research where I could see like, okay, this bread is popular. And gradually people started telling their friends. We had the local newspaper cover the company um, and it grew and grew over about 18 months. And in the end, we were averaging 150 loaves, you know, once a week. Um, so by that time, the restaurant was sort of asking for their chef to, you know, come back to his role. It was quite sort of, you know, taking a lot of my time and, um, yeah, so then that was the state and I'd kind of grown out the equipment. It was becoming harder and harder to make these huge amounts of bread with small mixers and small ovens. So Mm -hmm. that was the perfect opportunity that Natasha and I sort of got talking and, sort of wanted to start something ourselves. We were kind of both moving in the direction that we wanted to be our own bosses. And Mm -hmm. there was a bit of a gap in the market in Whistler. Like there's other bakeries, Um, both Tash and I are vegan. So we were like, okay, that's our angle. We're going to be 100% sourdough and 100% vegan. Um, Mm -hmm. We're working on that. We're not quite 100% organic. That's something we'd love to do. A A lot of our ingredients are organic. All the bread is and the flowers and everything. And then we're moving now towards sort of nuts and seeds and spices and things. Yeah, I see. I see. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so clearly you're the um, the one that's obsessed with creating the bread at your bakery. Though you guys are selling a lot more than just bread. So, how did it come that your menu kind of expanded beyond just the sourdough? So during the lockdown, um, people were buying flour a lot from the grocery stores. They ran out, and then we were experiencing some potential for flour shortages for our suppliers and then we got in contact with our mill and we were at the point where we were like okay if we can't get this flour delivered we're going to have to drive to the mill it's about 200 kilometers and we're going to have to pick it up and then customers were asking us you know we can't get flour can you get flour so before we knew it we'd added flour to our selection and we do house milled flour as well So we added flour to our online shop and then we added like more deli items like um, olives, marinated olives and hummus and all these things that we didn't really sell before. And Mm -hmm. I guess they've they've stayed really popular and so popular, actually, we had to invest in a newer, bigger blender to make some of these dips and things. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's interesting, like how our product range has just sort of evolved based on what customers want and, and need. And so that's why the offerings are a bit more than just a bakery now. Right. Well, that's, that's really interesting though. I mean, you know, obviously um, 
unfortunately, COVID has has caused a lot of businesses to have to kind of shrink or in some cases, you know, close entirely. But for you guys, it was actually almost a, an opposite effect where you had to kind of expand in order to respond <laughs> to the pandemic. Yeah. And I don't know if you um, know, but during the lockdown, a lot of people started these new hobbies at home and sourdough was one of them. So everybody suddenly became a home baker. We picked up like thousands of new followers. We were getting um, inundated with people buying flour. We sold all of our bread baking books that had sat on the shelf. Like you normally don't sell that many. And suddenly like we were selling out to the point where we can't even order them because they've gone into reprint because they were so out of stock. And that was really cool because we had a way to connect with people where they wanted like not just food, but they wanted knowledge and help. So we did like these Instagram Q&A night live sessions and it was kind of nice because we opened up our audience a lot more. Now everybody's gone back to work and um, I don't know what's happened to those sourdough starters everybody's made, but we've still got them covered. <laughs> they can come in and buy Ed's bread and, and you know, if they want to pick right. again another day, they've, they've got a good foundation. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I, I've seen a, I mean, not that I'm, I'm not a, a professional podcaster, really, I, you know, I have a day job still. Um, but there's certainly been a large uptick in new podcasts as well here in the last, <laughs> in this last year. Um, so I certainly understand that. So, you know, obviously, Ed is the the one that's uh, the, the baker or the, the one that maybe <laughs> was kind of starting with that. So did, did you, how did, how did you kind of decide to, to jump into the business? I mean, you know, I know he said that you guys were both kind of looking to maybe become entrepreneurs, but um, I guess maybe a better question is kind of what's your background? How did, how did you kind of fit into this? Yeah, so I've worked in hospitality on and off for a long time, um, waitressing, bartending, as a barista, um, as a catering cook. And then I did a season at the ski school as a cook um, where I was first cook. I would cook for like 800 kids and ski instructors. And it was during that season that I actually went vegan. That was back in 2013. I started reading all the labels of the food that we were feeding the kids. And it's quite frightening what you find out. And I sort of started this sort of uh, personal journey into um, healthier eating and healthier living. And so, yeah, I kind of ended up vegan. I worked as a raw food chef in a vegan cafe as well for a summer. Um, but actually, my main career has been in teaching. So I was an English teacher. But I've always been a passionate environmentalist and animal rights advocate. So I was working for a local charity called AWARE, which is the Association of Whistler Area Residents for the Environment. And I was sat on the board as vice president for a couple of years and it was good. And um, they have some really good projects and things that they do. But I felt that I could have a bigger impact um, in another way. And I started to think about how I could um, potentially open some sort of plant based cafe. And at the same time, Ed was starting to make bread. And then the locals started asking him, when are you going to open your own place? Because I don't want to have to wait once a week, I want to be able to come in every day and buy this, you know, um, and some people couldn't get on the list because he'd got to a maximum capacity. And and so he was he was at a point where it was like he couldn't grow it any further in that in that way. So he had to branch mm -hmm. out and start his own thing. And and so I said to him, you know, why don't we go into business together? And he'd been um, put off doing that. He'd worked for a couple in the past that hadn't got along very well. Um, but then when he saw that we had um, – a similar vision 
um we, we just felt that we would give it a go like what have you got to lose really so um we just thought we'd try it out and it seems to have gone well I'm very happy <laughs> yeah well that's 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 cool I was going to ask you about that actually and certainly I don't mean to be too loaded or, or too personal or something I don't I'm not trying to get into your day-to-day conversations mm. but just I was going to ask you about what it was like being entrepreneurs together as a as a couple because I would assume that there's probably some really challenging times and some really rewarding times and those probably aren't always in a perfect balance <laughs> yeah um, no. and one of the challenges yeah. is definitely like you bring you bring work home with you whereas when you have mm-hmm. separate jobs um you get more of a switch off when you go home at the same point you know for anyone that's ever started a business especially in food and beverage it's a lot of work really long hours um in the beginning so it's kind of it could be a strain on a relationship if one person was doing it on their own and the other partner didn't have that full appreciation of what it took. So we're in it together in that respect. Yeah. Um, we know how hard the other one works and we have clearly defined roles within the, the business as well. So that helps as well to know sort of what's his territory, what's my territory and try not to step on each other's toes in those ways. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that yeah, that's that's great. I uh, there's a, a really popular book for entrepreneurs called uh, The E Myth. I don't know if you've heard of that, Maybe. but it's the entrepreneurial myth. Um, but it's basically just it's trying to. I mean, it's from twenty or thirty years ago, so it's not new. But it's kind of just trying to dismiss the notion that like an entrepreneur has to be a certain kind of person, and and instead tries to make the argument that really successful entrepreneurship is based on having clearly defined roles and systems <laughs> like you just outlined. You know? Right. Okay. Uh, so, so, so hence the, the entrepreneurial myth again, being that it's a certain character that has a lot of tenacity or something and not that those things don't matter. Um, but that's not ultimately what carries, you know, someone through it's, it's these systems and roles and, and having clear understanding. Um, so, so you said that, that in around 2013 is when you had decided to become vegan. So was that something you guys kind of did simultaneously or was that something that you kind of led on? I went vegan first and um, because Ed was working in the restaurant at the time, he would come home very late and he would just eat whatever I had made for dinner. And he's always been very open-minded and loved vegetables and he's sort of charged vegetable gardens and he's done things in different places he's worked um he loves supporting local farmers and using local produce um so he would just eat he was basically at a point where he was eating vegan at home and then he would not eat vegan when he went out but then about 2014 there was a big advent of documentaries like cowspiracy um forks over knives um a whole bunch of information came out on the environmental aspects the animal ethics um and the health aspect as well and um ed actually has um a stent in his heart so that kind of hit home when he started to learn a lot about um how many cardiologists advocate for a whole foods plant-based diet as being the best for heart health uh it kind mm-hmm. of struck a chord with him and then i guess there was kind of a transitionary period i don't remember exactly but i remember we were at a party and there was a bunch of vegan people there were all eating vegan food. And someone said to him, are you vegan? And he said, yeah. And so that was kind of like, oh, it, it happened slowly. But now he um, is fully vegan and doesn't crave any meat anytime and um, really loves experimenting with vegan food. 
there's a lot of different ingredients that you use in vegan cooking. Right. Yeah. Well, and this is, I, 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 just to be completely candid, I, um, I watched a, a documentary earlier this year on, on Netflix called game changers. I don't know if that is one that came across your radar. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and it actually had a really strong effect on two close friends of mine. One of them who was like a grew up a weightlifter and, you know, steak is the only thing he wants to eat all the time and is obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then he sees Arnold Schwarzenegger in the game changers documentary advocating for this. And so he changed he immediately switched to plant-based. Um, and my other friend did as well. And I also have, I'm, I'm kind of maybe where Ed was at the very beginning, where at home, I I don't buy meat anymore. Um, but when I go out to eat or if I go to someone else's house, I haven't fully transitioned away there. Um, but anyways, it's just really interesting to hear to hear your personal story with it as well. Yeah, and it's also dependent on where you live. Like if you're in a city, then you're going to find a lot more vegan options. Um, vegan mm-hmm. restaurants as well we live in a ski town so it's a bit different up here like there's not as much choice so we tend to eat more at home um, and so you kind of have to get quite good at cooking and not everybody likes cooking so um, I guess you have to sort of weigh up as well like what what's your accessibility to to vegan food and it's not always that easy for people um, but as I said if you live in a city there's generally like really good options and there's an app called happy cow and um, that is like a TripAdvisor website for, for vegan restaurants and options. And we've used that traveling all over the world. We've been to like far out places like Colombia. And people are oh, wow. oh, you're not going to find anything vegan in Colombia. Like they love barbecue. They love meat. And then you just, right. you're just like in some small town in the mountains in Colombia and just go happy cow, take me to vegan food. And there's a whole like <laughs> list of options and the Colombians couldn't believe it themselves. Also, they were going, Oh, you're not going to find any vegan food here. And I'd be like, actually look at this. And they went, Oh my God, I love that restaurant. I didn't even know they had stuff. <laughs> so it's, there's, there's like lots of things that you tap into when you're looking for it that will help. And so just to, to be clear, cause this is something I I've been confused on in the past, but vegan is no animal product at all yeah. versus like vegetarian is really more no meat, but maybe still eggs and dairy and that sort of stuff. Is that right? Yeah. I would probably say vegetarian is, is really just another type of omnivore because you're still consuming animal products. And though you right. might not consume the flesh, um, the, the dairy industry does tend and eggs as well. They do tend to kill a lot of animals. Um, obviously, you have to remove the calf from the mother to get the milk. And that just doesn't occur to some vegetarians. It didn't occur to me when I was vegetarian that that happened. Um, right. Obviously, if the baby's drinking the milk, then it's taking profit away from the farmer. So a lot of um, cows die through through vegetarian or dairy and eggs. They, they kill a lot of baby chicks and things like that. So I guess that if you're going to eat a diet where animals are killed, then that's kind of could be seen as more omnivore Um, and vegan is really strict vegetarian where you just eat vegetables, but it is more than that. It's not just food. It does tend to translate to like the fabrics that you furnish your house with or you wear um, and, and things like that. And even things down to like, there's a whole, there's so much is so involved. Once you start to scratch wet the surface, things like condoms can have animal products in glue, um, like the the sticky bit on the razor can have animal products in 
Uh, it's it's really loaded. Like vaccines can often be made in chicken eggs. So it's kind of like um, once you start scratching away at how we use animals for so many things, it can, as I said, become very challenging for some people. And then there's arguments like if you were vegan and you you went vegan and you had leather products, would you continue wearing them and wear them till they wore out, or would you give them up? Um, and so there's not really a right or wrong answer to that. There's kind of like give and take but I think the important thing is that you don't you don't try to be perfect because you never will be you just mm. just do the best you can and I find that the people that judge most are the people that eat meat and they'll often say like well if you're vegan you know your shoes leather I said well thank you for asking <laughs> you know <laughs> whereas a vegan person doesn't really walk up to another vegan person saying, are your shoes leather <laughs> right. <laughs> so I think uh, that's funny. Yeah, or maybe some do. I don't know, but it, it's it's a matter of like not not judging yourself too much. Just trying to do the best you can. That's really what I think it comes down to. Yeah. No. I mean, honestly, I've been. You know, there's a. Um, I think there's kind of a, a cliched stereotype that like anyone who would label themselves as vegan or, or live a vegan lifestyle or whatever you want to call that is like synonymous with like the the PETA people who like throw blood on on people that have fur coats and stuff and and it's like that that's just not the case I mean I know many people that are 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 um, vegan and, and or at the very least you know vegetarian but um, and they're never judgmental like I've never had I've never had meat in front of them and had them comment on it but to your point I've definitely seen someone who's like oh I would prefer a vegan choice I've seen them be judged by <laughs> by meat eaters, which is very bizarre. I guess it's I guess the meat eaters are are, uh, are insecure or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, and, and and you know that angry vegan throwing paint all over the fur coat. Um, I mean, yeah. you can definitely see that they might be justified in their actions, but it is quite an old fashioned stereotype, and I think right. um, that veganism has really moved on since those days and is a lot more um embracing and um kind i guess i guess it's just when some people learn about the cruelty it's really hard not to come out of a place of anger but I mean, you have to go beyond that and sort of think about what's really going to bring the most beneficial change um and maybe going about it in an angry way like that turns more people off than on so I think that right. there's a lot of uh, movement now towards being a compassionate vegan. And that's it's a work in progress, right? We all make judgments about each other and we all get angry about things. And um, it's just, you just got to constantly work on yourself to manage that and diffuse it into some positive action, like starting a plant-based business. And I say plant-based because we, do, we don't actually use the word vegan in massive letters on our branding. Um, we tend to say plant-based 100% plant-based or plant-sourced and vegan friendly because we're aware of that old-fashioned stereotype where people go vegan oh that's not for me I'm not vegan but it's like right. if you eat plants like everybody generally eats plants and so that's inclusive and everyone's welcome and most of our customers aren't actually vegan so <laughs> it's really nice that our biggest fans are just regular people eating whatever they've always eaten um and then some of them it's like months before they even realize like oh is this vegan and i go yeah well that stuff that you love is all vegan yeah you're eating loads of vegan food and they kind of go oh oh i like that and and so that's right nice. so it's, we're kind of normalizing it it doesn't need to be this 
big scary movement that's here to like upset everyone it's it's just actually the answer to a lot of our problems and so we all need to get on board with it a bit more right right yeah well that was one of the reasons i wanted to to, to talk to you about that is, is because i think that there's a tendency again among all people and i'm sure myself included in, in some respects but to judge a, a, a movement or a group or whatever by its most extreme parts mm. which is always unfair right i mean um, whether or not a person is Christian, Westboro Baptist Church does not represent Christianity at large, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that's a, a really excellent point that, that you make. of a, a silly question um but do you ever get tired of bread do you ever do you ever do you ever not want to eat bread with a meal um no because we okay. make a lot of different types of bread so for example mm. sometimes i'll feel like a rye bread we make a hundred percent rye so it has a very different texture and flavor to like a wheat based bread um, and then there's so many products that you can make with bread, like pizza and stuff. Um, that said, sometimes on our days off, we might have a whole day where we don't eat bread because we like to have diversity in our diet. We don't want to just eat bread every day. But at the same point, we don't want food to go to waste. So if there is bread left over at the end of the day, then the staff take it home. And I'd say, yeah, we probably do eat a lot of bread. And, you know, nothing beats fresh bread. Fresh is best. So there's nothing wrong yeah. in demolishing a whole loaf in one day between the two of you, like if that's what you want to do. Um, at least right. you know, eat it when it's best. And, you know, it's kind of painful when someone tells you that, oh, I just ate the last bit of bread yesterday. I had bought it a week ago. Because I'm kind of like, really? Like, how stale is that? So, <laughs> well, you know, fresh is best. You know, if you really can't get through a loaf, like freeze half of it. Cut it in half, freeze half, right. half fresh. Right, 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 right. Um, yeah, like I said, kind of a silly question. I just, I, it was something I was thinking about earlier that because you guys are are clearly very inundated with it, um, but that makes sense that there's a, a wide variety of of ways that you can enjoy it. Um, so back to the um, kind of the the plant based diet or, or plant based living kind of thing, you know. Something that we've talked about is obviously the the kind of the health concerns and and like you'd said, Ed has a stint, and so um, as in that Game Changers documentary, I mean that's probably the biggest point that documentary makes is is about the effects on the body of of plant or excuse me of animal products and how it causes inflammation and, and all these problems. Um, but you had kind of mentioned earlier also that it it solves a lot of other problems in the world too, not just our health, but also like our environment because we're spending we have all this farmland dedicated to growing food to feed to the animals yeah. <laughs> so that we can then consume the animals. 
Um, I guess just kind of what are your your thoughts or, or or do you have anything to elaborate on that with at all? Just the the kind of the environmental impacts of of plant based diet. Yeah, so in the documentary Cowspiracy, there's a really good diagram where they show um, how much land is required for a vegan diet, how much land is required for a vegetarian diet, and how much land is required for a meat-based diet. And it's way, way, way bigger resources, um, the gap between vegan to vegetarian, and then again, an even huger gap to, to meat. And then um, they say that... Um, based on that kind of calculation, that we have enough farmland to feed 12 billion people. So essentially, people are going hungry um, so that others can eat meat. And you'll, you'll see stories in countries where there's a grain farmer in one country and they go hungry because they have to sell all that grain to the buyer. And, you know, when you hear stories like that, it's like it's not just the animals that are affected by our food demand and and things like the ocean all the plastic in the ocean you'll find that most of it is fishing nets it's not always you know the takeaway cups and things it's um, a lot of pollution is caused by overfishing and over farming so these mm. issues are very complex as well um sure. but the general consensus is that yeah they're not conducive to a healthy green happy planet so right. um, when you when you start to learn about these things, it's hard to ignore that. And you might eat something and go, but it just tastes so good. But then it's like, but is your sensory pleasure worth more than like the suffering of others? And also vegan food tastes good, too. <laughs> so there's yeah. good options now for in most places in the developed world anyway, for sure. So um it's kind of getting easier and easier now and people have got less and less excuse. Even, even like KFC and McDonald's are bringing in vegan options now. So it's right. easier than ever. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, again, I, I certainly have not transitioned fully to, to vegan yet, but um, for me, it was kind of, you know, there was a book I filled out when I was three years old. That's just like a, a random questions for you to fill out as a kid so you can look at it later and you know it's cute or something um <laughs> something my mom had me do but one of the questions is what's your favorite food and at three years old in all capital letters i wrote meat oh, right wow. and so i've had this association with myself that's like oh well i'm just that's just who i am at my core um and then after my friends kind of made the transitions that they did and i i watched some of the, the documentary or did watch all of game changers um it, it struck me as just kind of an interesting experiment. Like what would it be like to plan a meal without meat as the centerpiece of that meal? Um, because I'd always been like, Oh, well I'll have, you know, a chicken breast and then what goes with it or a piece of fish and what goes with it or whatever the, the example is. And it was like, well, what would it be like if I planned meals without that? And so it was kind of an interesting just challenge at first. And I actually have found that I don't miss it at all. Like oh. I make, there you go. Probably the thing I make most common for myself is quesadillas with beans instead of ground beef. Yeah. And I don't care, but the ground beef isn't accurate. The seasonings are what tastes good. And, and the vegetables, like the peppers and onions and that kind of stuff. Um, so, yeah, I've been shocked at how much I don't miss the meat and how how little of a, a thing it's actually been <laughs> to make that change at home. When you're talking about ground beef, 
Um, that mm-hmm. I heard a statistic recently from a guy that owns a meat company in Canada, and he said that like over ninety percent of the meat consumed in North America is ground beef and oh, ground meat. And you're kind of like, well, that's like got to be the easiest meat to replicate with mushrooms or beans or whatever because it's just tiny little pieces you, you know yes. when you, if you were trying to create and people are out there trying to do this i don't know what it tastes like or, and i probably wouldn't like it myself but <laughs> there are people trying to create like vegan steak and vegan tuna steak yeah. and all this kind of stuff and it's like well that's got to be a lot harder to to mimic but if you're right. talking about ground beef like surely that's that's like the texture and everything <laughs> even the flavors um you yeah. probably rep- get away with an alternative um, that's very, very close. I mean, right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I make myself stir fry quite a bit and, um, and yeah, same thing. Like I don't miss the meat in it. And then I add some, some black beans and that, you know, re- gets the protein back in it or whatever. And it's great. And like the black beans don't have a, a really strong flavor on their own. So they just kind of blend in with the rest of the dish. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I don't mean to go on and on about my own <laughs> diet. <but laughs> Sounds good. Coming for dinner. It's just, <laughs> It's just exciting to. It's just so exciting to to see this kind of um, this side of I don't the world. I guess you could say because again, for me, you know, for so long I, I was so entrenched in that mindset of meat is just what I want, and uh, and so yeah, it's just cool to to see that there's another way, and then to see people like yourself that are not only living that personally, but then bringing it to the world through your business and, and bringing other people in, and like you said, introducing people that maybe if you called it vegan would have been like oh i don't want that yeah but because you don't use that mm-hmm. word <laughs> well, well yeah, it's very subtle you know like there's a sign outside that says uh, plant sourced and vegan friendly um but the funny thing is um as much as it might bring in like the average joe um it can confuse vegans like vegans will come into the shop and they'll go uh, what's vegan and we'll be like um everything and they'll be they'll literally point through everything and go is that vegan yeah that's vegan is that vegan and they almost don't believe you and i'll sort of point to our sign in store and say yeah look like plant-based we're 100 plant-based and they'll be like so that's vegan and one guy recently i said do you want chocolate sprinkles on your cappuccino and he said uh cocoa powder and i said no no no, like that'd be too bitter like we have like chocolate sprinkles and he goes no no i'm vegan and i was like yeah they're vegan and he was like oh Okay, and I'm like, we just went through the whole menu. Like, everything is vegan. <laughs> but they don't believe it because the vegan people, they actually want that massive V. They want to see vegan, loud and proud, which is which is nice. Right. And to be honest, we are those people in our own personal lives. That's us because it makes you feel comfortable. If there's a certification as well, you kind of think, okay, I trust this. Whereas when it's like some woman standing there going, yeah, I promise everything's vegan. I guess they might think I'm just a witch or something. I don't know. <laughs> so, so as much as you try to be inclusive, there's always someone that's like, you know, you might might not be like the happiest. But, right. but generally, like the vegans will find us. People, other vegans say, have you been to the vegan bakery? And they'll go, I didn't even know that was a vegan bakery. We've had a lot of those people too. So um, right. essentially it's a bakery and we make, you know, really tasty products. Um, we just happen to be vegan.
obviously you said that primarily it's sourdough, but then you also make some other things. And, and this might be a silly kind of question, but I know nothing about baking or it's all making good. bread. I, I say that to all my, my bakers. There's no <laughs> silly question. And I've, I've heard a lot. <laughs> but so, uh, you know, I mean, it, it's only three ingredients, which sounds simple, but I'm guessing that the process of making a bread with three ingredients is actually much more challenging than the process of making bread with 35 ingredients. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You've nailed it. I mean, the weather is a massive factor each day. Um, you know, it chops and changes. So they say like one of the most famous bakeries in the world, sourdough bakeries is Tartine in San Francisco. Um, and Chad was, you know, is a surfer. So he's used to checking the report every day, checking the, you know, wind directions, the humidity, temperatures, all these sort of things. And in a way, a lot of that factors into making bread. Um, even gotcha. so, I mean, it, there is a lot of variables. There's, um, timing is really important sort of you know how often you feed the sourdough starter um and i say water as well you know one of the ingredients the temperature of the water how much you put in percentages there's a lot of sort of math equations with you know people are constantly asking what's the hydration of your dough um because that's so basically if it's 80 percent hydration it's like 800 grams of water to a kilo of flour so it's, okay. the, it's always worked out in the water to the to the flour of that dough. Um, but like you said, there's a lot of variables. So I could give someone a recipe and say a kilo of this, 800 grams of this, and 150 grams of sourdough starter, and 20 grams of salt. But there's a lot of other things that come into, you know, the method basically is, is the key. Um, mm. And also sourcing the flour. If you're just going to buy like cheap, all-purpose, non-organic flour, you know, it's going to come out a lot different than we do some milling at the bakery. So we get like really nice um, local organic whole grain and we mill it fresh. So there, there's another difference. Like, has your flour been sitting in a warehouse for six months before you mm. use it? So there's there's a lot of variables within those three ingredients. You know, water, even our salt that we buy, um, we get it from Vancouver Island. So it's the the closest sort of salt production sort of area that we can because it's good to support another local company but also because it's amazing salt you sort of lift the lid off and you can smell the ocean it's it's clean it's got you know a a real depth of flavor to it that's awesome so this is a a weird kind of tangent but did have you ever seen jiro dreams of sushi on netflix yes it, you, it just what you were talking about reminds me of him so much, which anyone that doesn't know, he's this guy that's like 90 something years old in Japan that's made sushi for like 70 of those years or something. <laughs> yeah, totally. No, it's funny you say that because and and his son is in his 50s. Yes. And, and still can't take over. Still not, still not allowed to do certain jobs. <laughs> um, and that's why I was kind of worried because I, I find dining chef since I was like got started in kitchens when I was 13 did my apprenticeship through college, you know, worked at Michelin star restaurants, fine dining all my life, um, Mm. which kind of drove me to bread because we were making bread in some of those restaurants. We made everything in house and pasta. So I love food. Um, And I was quite concerned once we committed to open the bakery, how is it going to be being a baker and baking predominantly the sourdough? Like we obviously make cakes and cookies and cinnamon buns. There's a lot more to it. But predominantly, mm-hmm. my main role at the bakery is I'm, I sort of look after the sourdough bread, all the loaves, and then my assistant helps with the sweet items and um, other mm. other prep that needs to be done. Right. But it is that obsession, like you said. It's the 
the the flower the the water looking at every technique like every day minute changes to make it that ideal right. bread and maybe once a year i'll get this like epic bread that i'm so happy but tash will look at it and she'll be like it looks the same as it always does you know it's like to, to the average person they would never notice they're like you make good bread like stop being yeah stop being so obsessed but yeah well like with Jiro, he only buys rice from like one specific vendor mm -hmm. and that vendor will only sell the rice to him because he's the only one that will use it correctly or something but mm -hmm. it reminded me of that when you're talking I, about the, i take the that power. i take that as a huge compliment because he's, he's got like three <laughs> michelin stars and like one of the top top sushi chefs in the japan so yeah i mean honestly listening to you describe it which obviously we you know talk very little even but just listening to you describe it I've, I've thought for a long time i would i would love to go try Jiro sushi but i would probably have to try other sushi in tokyo for like a year so that i could understand how much better because i know it's nuanced right mm. so I, I need to go buy a bunch of sourdough bread that's mid-range and then i'll come try your bread yeah. so i can appreciate fully <laughs> <laughs> the mastery of it um so is i mean are there are there I guess you said that you primarily specialize in the sourdough though, and, and that your assistants are the ones making the other breads. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask if there's a, if it's, if it's a lot different, just complexity in making one kind of bread versus another, like is a cinnamon roll harder to make than sourdough or vice versa or whatever. Yeah. I mean, there are, um, for me, obviously I've been classically trained in French cuisine, like grew up in the UK. France was very close so uh, very heavy with butter, cream, eggs, milk, all these animal-based products. So it was actually not so daunting having to, to make these different products, but make them vegan because mm. I was learning and I still learn as I go. Um, and because it is relatively new in certain things that we're making, you can't just go online and look up a recipe. You know, there are obviously a lot of vegan recipe books and things like that, but we try and be, um, we try and take a modern approach at it and try and put our own spin on everything. So we try and take um, experience, like past experiences and taste flavor combinations, but put our own twist on it. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. Yeah. I was, I was looking at your, um, at your Instagram and you guys have just, and your website, edsbread.com. Mm -hmm. um, you guys have some, some really, really lovely photos of the bread. Like, I mean, all of the bread looks very aesthetically pleasing, but then you've got some, that has like cool little designs kind of imprinted. I don't know what other word to use, but yeah, totally. it reminded me of like the coffee shop people that could make the creamer into a shape. That's... Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Like I do all the Instagram myself. I've had people oh, wow. that are like, oh, we could do it for you. But I really enjoy the photography aspect of that. Um, yeah. And I, I'm not like a food stylist. Like I wouldn't spend hours setting up like a set because it's a bit fake. You know, I feel like if it's, if it's beautiful, it's quite easy to take a picture. You sort of get natural light, like all the, the baristas and Tash always laugh at me because I'm like, okay, I'm going to turn off the lights now. I need like and a customer will walk in. They'll be like, are you open? They're like, oh, <laughs> yeah, we're open. Come in, come in. Ed's just taking a photo. So it's kind of, they know what's going on now. I try and time it where we get a bit of a, a lull in, in right. like the early afternoons. So I'm like, right, if I need to take a photo, this is my, this is my time. So if any of your listeners ever come to our shop, they're like, this is weird. The lights are off. They'll, they'll now know why. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just a photo shoot. Yeah, back. exactly. And, but and it, his bread. People eat with their eyes. And we do, luckily, we do a lot of our followers are regular customers. And they look out on um, Instagram or Facebook to see 
what's going to be available this week or a weekend special. Mm -hmm. So it's a great free, um, you know, resource to, to, to bring customers to the shop. Right. Right. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, well, yeah, it's like I said, very, very aesthetically pleasing, not just the ones with the designs. Um, all, all of the photos are very, very well done. So kudos to you guys are a talented couple that you have here yeah. uh, to run your business. Yeah. She's definitely <laughs> the brains. I'm just so <laughs> fair enough. Um, so what time, what time in the day are you starting to make, to make these reds? Like, are you, or do you have regular hours or are you up at like 3am to start? We're up pretty, pretty early. Um, a lot of people ask that, but it's like, if you were a baker and you started at 4am, you'd normally, you know, an eight hour day, nine hour day, you'd be finishing at midday, one o'clock. Um, but that's not really the case for me. I'm sort of starting at four or 5am, but then working till 7pm. So a lot of mm-hmm. customers come in, they're like, what time do you start? And you say like four, four, five a.m. And oh, that's mm-hmm. not too bad because they expect you to say 2 a.m. or midnight. Um, <laughs> but it's the length of the day. But, you know, I'm the owner. I love it. It's like I'm really passionate about it. Um, sure. And also it was a big thing when we opened the shop. I wanted, I've always worked, I've worked in a lot of open plan kitchens. And it's really cool when you can see chefs or bakers working. When you go to a bakery and it's all done, you know, they've all cleaned up and gone home. It's just some people like serving. It's a bit soulless to me. So I, sure. I wanted I wanted it to be as fresh as possible and someone to come in and get a hot loaf of bread, you know, that's been out of the oven for 20, 30 minutes. They take it home. It's like, they're just like, especially in the winter, they're cuddling it like a little baby. They're like, oh my God, <laughs> this is amazing. So we, we don't start baking till 6 a.m. And we bake all through the morning until about um, midday, one o'clock. And then, I mean, we're prepping all through the day, but that's the great thing about it being sourdough. We're feeding the the sourdough starter constantly. Um, and then we start making the actual physical dough at 10 a.m. And by the time it's shaped and put into its basket, it, it's at four or five in the afternoon. Um, and then it goes into a walk-in fridge to ferment overnight. And that helps with flavor and textures and things like that. It's the slow fermentation in these wicker baskets. Mm. And then it goes into the fridge for anywhere between 14 to 18 hours. And then in the morning, we start baking at the moment the bread. We're, we're baking cinnamon buns and cookies from about 5 a.m. But the bread doesn't go into the oven till um, 7 a.m., 7.30, 8, and just obviously multiple batches. Um, so really, really fresh bread It's not, you know, a couple of hours old max whereas if you go to a traditional bakery maybe it was baked the evening before so you're getting a loaf of bread premium like bakery but it's already 10 12 hours old um, which is still fresh bread but for me i want that sort of straight to the customer um, as fresh as possible wow so there's so there's there's i mean it's it's down to literally the hours matter in how Mm -hmm. in I don't know if quality is the right word, but the, the, there's certainly a difference between two hour bread and 12 hour bread. Yeah. It's like time, time management. So everything's like a bit of a dance really. It's like generally like the, the bakery only shuts down for like maybe um, six hours or something like that, you know, and then someone else is in prepping or doing something else. We make everything in house. We don't buy anything in um, relatively mm-hmm. small teams. So it's a lot, even though we're only open for, at the moment, we've reduced our hours um, just 9 a.m. till 3 p.m. 
to be open for those six hours, there's a lot of stuff that's going on beforehand. Like when you go to the theater, like, you know, it's a short play, the actual time, but there's a lot right. of pre-production and, you know, like set up with the costumes and all that sort of stuff. It's a bit of a right. weird analogy, but people no, no, people just think we sort of open at nine, we have an easy day and then we go home. They're like, they go past the shop at 6 p.m. They're like, why are you still here? It's like, I can't just close at three and leave. Um, <laughs> but they don't, need, no, think- they don't need to know that. They just need to get the fresh bread and enjoy it. Right, right. No, I think that's an excellent analogy. Uh, I think that that's, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There's a ton of production that goes into putting in something in a theater that the, the viewer would never see or, mm-hmm. or know of. So mm-hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Is there anything else that, that you wanted to cover at all? Totally. I mean, um, obviously, like, please share our links to the Instagram, like you said, like if other people, um, home bakers have got questions or anything um that i didn't we didn't talk about today then they can absolutely direct message us through the instagram so it's eds underscore bread b-r-e-d so the company mm-hmm. name is bread um because it's like a poor mantel of, of my name um even though we're obviously a team so it's just pretty catchy just just bread so eds underscore bread yep. so they can they can ask us questions that way or have through have a look through our website uh edsbread.com um, again, cool. we have like about our backstory and um, we have a little online shop there that people can pre-order, um, things like that. Like you said, we're not shipping anything at the moment, but once, you know, we get over this sort of COVID spell, then we're definitely looking at being able to ship merchandise and uh, um, and other items. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, well, I will definitely have links to um, your website and social media in the show notes so people will be able to find it and click it there as well. Um, well, Ed and, and Natesh, thank you so much for, for coming and joining me today. Like I said, it was a real pleasure to, to talk with you, and I was really excited to have you on. Awesome. So thank you so much for your time, uh, and have a great one. Yeah, Tash is waving. <laughs> so thanks so much for, uh, for having us as well. We really enjoyed it. Okay.
tomorrow night Vain as I know I
All right, well, that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Ed and Natasha Tatton for coming on. Really enjoyed our conversation. Again, you'll find links to their website and their Instagram in the show notes. I also want to thank Misha Zarens for today's music. And, of course, thank you, listener, for listening to the show today. I also invite you to listen to my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by myself and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about why gaming matters. So we talk about current events, news and reviews in gaming, but we also try and talk about why it's so important to us. If you like long-form conversations, I think you'll really enjoy Pick Up Your Sticks. You can find it anywhere podcasts are found. Again, thanks for the listen. As always, have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.